administrator in New York City, in New York City Public Schools. And d while I was there for four years, for three years of that time, I was really sensing God calling me to go to Newark, New Jersey. And it, w it would get to the point where I'd be crossing the bridge, as I shared before. I'd be crossing the bridge, and as I crossed the bridge to New York, I would hear the Holy Spirit tell me, you're going to Newark. I mean, it would be like clockwork every single day. I pay my toll. I'm getting across the bridge, and as soon as I hit the bridge where I can look over and see, you know, the city, I'd hear the Holy Spirit say, you're going to Newark. And that could be a little frustrating because you're going one place, but you're hearing another direction. Uh, but the Lord had done that for three years. And so for three years, I was just discerning God's call for me there. And when he was going to do it, I said, Lord, when are you going to do it? When are you going to send me there? If that's what you called me to, when are you going to send me there? And then of those four years, two of those years, I spent preparing for the shift. See, it's important that when you, when you sense God calling you somewhere, that you be discerning and you, you learn the environment as much as you can because you still may be an outsider at that time because I was in New York, not Newark, New Jersey, but that you prepare for the shift. And so two of those years I spent preparing for the shift. I had gotten certified. I found out what I needed to be certified in New Jersey uh, to get my license. Uh, one year I took care of that. I started trying to build some relationships, which didn't work out that way because that's not what God wanted. He just wanted me to be prepared. And another year, the last year, I spent uh, taking the exam so I could be certified for New Jersey. Because I knew if God was calling me there, I didn't want anything to get in the way. And God really wanted me to be prepared the right way. Uh, not take a shortcut, but to show myself approved and be prepared the right way. So just I experienced my own shift, and that's a little bit. So this summer, uh, late in July, I received a call uh, about a position uh, the gentleman asked me to check my email. I checked my email. He told that it outlined a position for a principal of a new high school. Uh, the school is called Newark Innovation Academy. And so the, the, the school is unique in that, and it's, it's innovative in that it has seven different campuses, campuses. So traditionally at a comprehensive high school, you'll see a principal over one building. Well, this high school, I would, be, I would have seven campuses. Each campus housed in another school building. So there it was a really a recreation of what a principal is. And each and in the school, it's made up of three different learning models. So they don't, don't all do the same thing. The focus is to increase the graduation rate amongst high school students in New Jersey and provide opportunity for learning that a comprehensive high school didn't offer them because they just didn't work in regular high school. You know how regular high school is, right? You know, you have your social studies, English, science. Well, these three models are a little different and they offer opportunities for students to do internships and focus on the area of passion, look for work opportunities, move towards getting college credit as they progress and getting their diploma. So uh, in the span of that week, that one week, now I didn't look for this job. I didn't look for this position. I had applied to other jobs in Newark and hadn't heard anything. But my resume got into the hands of this guy because I had sent my resume at one point directly to the director of human resources. I'd emailed it to her. I mailed it to her. And she had sent me an email like early in July saying, you know, apply this way online if you're interested in the position. I thought that was strange because I didn't expect someone to actually get back to me. Uh, but then sh she did, and I did tell her I applied online. Nevertheless, it was this woman who was given, put my resume in the hands of this recruiter who was commissioned to look for somebody to fill that job post. And so they did. I looked at it. Initially, I was like, I don't know. But as I looked at the model of it, I saw it was exactly what God was really calling me to do and what I had a passion for in transforming the lives of young people who didn't have, who felt secluded and who, who were kind of marginalized from the normal system. And so God was really talking to me about, talking to me about my audience and who is my audience. And it's important for you to know who your audience is. Because if you don't know your audience, you'll have a hard time making progress in what you believe God's calling you to do. So while you might have a similar call as somebody else, if you don't know who your audience is that you're supposed to reach, is it the homeless? Yes, I'm called to be a nurse, but am I supposed to serve the homeless? Or am I supposed to serve a school system? Am I supposed to serve a school system? Or am I supposed to serve a women's shelter? Bad women. You have to know your audience. Because there are many people who have the crafts that we have, but not everybody same, shares the same audience. And so God was really showing uh, 
me through this process of who, reminding me who my audience was. And so when I saw that job description, I said, wow, this, this fits. And so it really took a process of seven to nine days. I hear about the job. I heard about the job one day. I said, yes, I'm interested. The next, the following day, I was told I needed to take an assessment online. It was an online test. They measure your qualifications and would you really be effective, that kind of thing. So I spent a couple hours going through that assessment. And then later on that day, my wife and I are driving uh, to West Orange, and I get a call, and they tell me, you have an interview tomorrow. And they tell me what my time is. Go to the interview. A little nervous initially, but I sat down. I just pulled out my word. I said, Lord, calm my nerves. I don't need to be nervous. Calm down. Even though, you know, you get a little nervous in those new situations, right? So I, I went to the interview. Uh, the interview was supposed to last about a half hour. It ended up lasting about an hour. It was a before a panel of seven people, each of them asking me all these questions that were very layered. And I said, I don't know how I'm responding to this, but I, I had a piece in the process. I really did. I had a piece in the process of it. And I even, there were even, God even gave me clues just in reading people, how they were just, how the Holy Spirit was really present in this process because I was getting, they were looking at me in certain ways. At certain points, you don't try to keep your cool. You try to be stern when you're interviewing because you don't want people to read, you know, how you might feel about them. And there was one point when this lady, she was almost even helping me to rephrase, rephrase something. Um, but the Holy Spirit had, allowed, had, had caught their attention. That's what it was. I, you have your natural abilities, but when the Holy Spirit is really working on you to move you into something new, they begin to see things that go beyond your own potential and your own ability. And I really sensed it at that moment. So there was even a shift in how they were responding to me. Um, and so from that time, I waited. It was the next week. My wife was eating breakfast, and she tells me, you're going to get a call this week. I was like, they said next week they would tell me. They didn't tell me a particular day. It was Wednesday. She said it was Wednesday at that time. She said, you're going to get a call. So I said, okay. So I, get, um, I look at my phone because I just wanted to charge it, and it said I missed a couple of messages. One of those messages uh, was from another school that had heard about me applying uh, to Newark, and they were trying to recruit me at the same time. So God was also showing that sometimes when he presents an opportunity, he'll, he'll do an overflow of it, to use my brother Willie's term, to show you that he's in charge and that he's providing an opportunity. I mean, it really got ridiculous. I mean, they went to the point where they're willing to take you from one place to another. That's how much favor God was creating. Um, and so... At the same time, I had got an email saying that the superintendent wanted to meet with me uh, for the first interview. And so all of this is happening. I call back. I finally have my, long story short, I have an interview with the superintendent, and he offers me the position. Because I knew, again, I knew this was my audience. And had I set this up myself, I probably would have taken a, a position at a middle school somewhere or something like that. But God really, again, it had a shift in my journey in my understanding of what I thought I wanted. Sometimes what you think you want doesn't match what God's called you to do. And it doesn't really match your heart. And so you'll find yourself in some doing something that oh, was interesting, but it wasn't fulfilling because it wasn't your call. You had no business there. And so sometimes God allows us to go through that process because he shows us that this is where you belong. And he affirms it. And you begin to feel comfortable with it because you know He's placed you. When God, the creator of the universe, created you, he knew what you were designed for. So any shift that you experience in your life, when you're walking with God, you can be certain that he's still in control. He is still in control. So let's go, let's go to the text. Paul was experiencing a shift, experiencing a shift. He had already uh, faced the counsel in the story by this time on a ship. He had already uh, faced a number of counsels, people, frankly, that wanted him dead. Because he was communicating who Christ was. The Jewish uh, councils and leaders didn't like it. There were other people in, on, in other city-states that didn't appreciate it because he was pulling other people's attention from idol worship. And so they wanted him dead. But every time that they came to accuse him, they could not be successful in charging him with anything. I mean, he was, he was a, a Roman citizen himself. He had a, he had a history of persecuting Christians, but he had a, a history as a Roman leader, which people didn't know because he had converted to, you know, to this follower of Christ and, and really being doing the work of God. 
his, his whole life had experienced a shift. And so here we are at this point. He's, shi- he's on a ship. They're trying to go to another island, and a storm starts to brew. So the decision is made to send Paul to Rome. He's handed over to the Roman government, right? So he's on his way, and as you saw, the winds start to change. And despite his better judgment and his counsel, they went on anyway and took the trip. Now, this man is a prisoner, mind you. So first of all, you're, you're crazy. You're a prisoner. So why are you telling the captain and the crew what to do? But nevertheless, he knew who he was. He knew who he was serving. He was also discerning. And because the Holy Spirit was on him, he had that, that authority that he had, regardless of who he was around, still, still was projected out of him. It oozed out of him, and he couldn't help but to be who he was called to be. And so regardless of whether he was a prisoner or whether he was free, he still functioned with authority. And so you see his, there's a shift in the waters. So the first shift is the people's decision. The captain doesn't want to hear him, right? The crew doesn't want to hear him. They make their way anyway. So here they go. They get caught up in the water. So that's the other shift, right? So you can't control the water. I don't, you ever been on a ship? Who here has been on a ship? Okay. The only thing keeping you safe is the boat. You can't control the water. You can't say water stop. They ain't listening to you. It's not listening to you. So along the way, they go ahead, they hit the turbulent waters, and that's what you see in Acts 7 through 20, which we just read. And so it's, it's interesting to know that as they're in this water and experiencing this turbulence, of course, what do you think? You think of the Titanic. I mean, the ship is, go, is shaken. The storm is unpredictable. All the resources they use to try to keep the, the, the sail straight, to try to keep the ship steady, wasn't working. It got so bad, they ended up getting on a lifeboat that was attached to the ship. Mind you, there were 276 people on this ship, which included prisoners, crew, captain, and elite guards, uh, uh, very heavy military people. So they could not control the waters. And yet God created an environment where Paul was able to speak peace to that situation. And it was, it was his presence and his communicating of, of those words from the Lord about being still, about having the confidence in God, which kept them. So there were, there's, that was a risky situation, I would say. True? That was a risky situation. Some risks we put ourselves in, right? Some risks like bungee jumping. Skydiving, those are voluntary risks, right? All right, I don't see anybody tying you to a chair to go bungee jump. But there are also some risks that come as a result of the situation, as a result of the journey you're on. And some, some risks we encounter along the way because they're a natural offshoot of where we're going. They're a natural part of our voyage. Paul didn't have any influence over the conditions of the storm in this case, as we were reading, but he did have influence over the people. And God allowed that. I'm going to read that verse again. That's verse 23. Verse 23 said, For last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God is in, in his goodness, has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. And somehow these people paid attention to Paul. Paul caught their attention. I think when you're on a lifeboat and the waters are crazy and you're about to drown or you're in a very dangerous situation and somebody's offering you some peace of mind, you're going to grab that peace of mind. So God used that shift in the environment to even change the heart of the captain and the crew, who initially, they didn't pay him any mind, right? They didn't want to listen to him. They wanted to do their own thing. But sometimes God will allow you to be in a situation, a turbulent situation, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of other people who are going on that journey. 
And sometimes we get so caught up in thinking that it's just about us. But there are reasons why you are in a hard condition. Sometimes you'll be in a very difficult situation with a friend, and you wonder why, why do I have to deal with her problems? Why, is it, why do I have to be the butt of her anger every two minutes? Or why is he tripping? Why am I the guy who's the roommate with this pothead? Why does it have to be me? I, this is the one person I did not want to spend my senior year rooming with. I did not want this pothead in my room. So we, ha- and you know, there's a, with potheads, there comes all kinds of situations. I'll leave that alone. You live on a college campus, you know what I'm talking about. But in that situation, got to remember, that's a turbulent situation for you. But that is something that God will use to do a transformation in the lives of other people. You may very well be there to help rescue them. So we talked about navigating a journey, that some risks are voluntary, some risks you encounter just as a part of the process. Everything you do has a risk. Driving has risks. Walking has risks. As this man was running while we were worshiping, I found myself praying for his protection that he wouldn't get accidentally hit by a car because risk is involved in everything. We take it for granted because we're safe here today. But you walk out, that sh- out into the street, anything can happen. Because you don't get to control other people. You can only control yourself. And even when you control yourself, mistakes happen. How many people have twisted their ankle walking down down the stairs? Hello. I did this morning. Walking down the stairs, tripping, you know, almost tripping to the floor. So risk is inevitable. And so sometimes we try to safeguard ourselves from risk. We want to take the cautious route and the route that appears comfortable because it's less risks. But we're only compromising our life because the reality is everything you do takes risk. Who told you that driving was safe? Yet you may drive from Union or West Orange or three miles from Hackensack every day. Who told you driving was safe when most people are killed by drivers who are texting than they are than drunk drivers? Who told you flying was the safest way to travel? When just the other week, a plane dropped out of the sky. A plane that was perfectly healthy from a mechanical standpoint. So sometimes we take these, we think we're safeguarding ourselves from risks, when really, there is no safety from risks. And sometimes God wants to put us in a situation where risk is inevitable. So that you can do the work he's called you to do. Reminds me of Jonah, who tried to avoid the risk of going to Nineveh, and yet he encountered a greater risk by ending up in the belly of a fish. Risk is inevitable. It is inevitable. And sometimes our family histories can really interrupt our willingness to take risks because we've had the, we lost the trust of a family member, or a family member lost our trust because they violated us in some way whether by always disappointing us or doing something to us they should not have. All of those things mess with the risk and the, the competency and the uh, building up of risk that God designed us to have. Living is risky business. Living is risky business. And so there is, there is no protection from the risk. So sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? Not only that, but why am I afraid of it? Why am I afraid of it? So part of navigating risks is knowing why you're afraid. And sometimes you need to use wisdom because you should be afraid of something. Because it can be something that you can avoid. Not because it will make you feel comfortable, but because it gets in your life. Right? I mean, there's some risk that you need to wonder, why am I afraid when this could lead to something really great? Why am I the only one in the room frightened of going in the swimming pool? Why am I the only person in this room frightened of getting on the airplane, which I just use an analogy about it being a safe place to fly. Don't, dis- <laughs> don't discard that. But y- there are places God commissioned you to go that you can only go if you fly. So you're going to have to fly. Some of our frequent travelers in the back row know what I'm talking about. 
right, from sea to shining sea. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. So sometimes you have to be, you have to link up with people who take risks that you don't take because you see the positive outcomes that are produced in their life. And sometimes you need to be put in a situation where you're forced to take risks so you see how other people who are in the same situation as you are at that very moment handle it. This summer uh, in June, right before the school year ended, my senior class, I went with the, uh, the 12th graders on a trip to Great Adventure. And I'm not a roller coaster person at all. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not. But I was with, I w- they, we let the kids have their fun. We supervised them. And so I got on a couple of roller coasters, and I had this guidance counselor with me. This woman's about this high. She wears her glasses, mother of two, you know, older woman. She's in her 40s. It's not still a relatively young woman. But I didn't, she is a beast when it comes to roller coasters, okay? The woman usually wears glasses. Today she wore contacts. That should have been a clue for me right there, okay? So anyway, she was like, okay, what are we going to do? So I said, let's go, because I wasn't going to say I was afraid of getting on a roller coaster. I wasn't going to open her mouth and say that. Now, I did a couple times, I just say, oh, okay. But I didn't say, oh, I ain't going to own that. I'm trying to man up. <laughs> trying to handle my man. Okay? But I got on with her. Something said, just go with her. So I get on the roller coasters with Monica. If she's listening to this somewhere in the airwaves, I'm shouting you out, Monica. And uh, we get on, and we choose this one moderate roller coaster, which was fine. It went up and down. You know, we did a little hollering. I did a little cringing of the face. And then it was all good. But it progressively got uglier. Okay? It got progressively. But I got to tell you, with every one that I got on, once I got off, I felt like I achieved something. It kind of, it made me bolder. So when it came to that third roller coaster, I was good. I, I was still, I looked at it. I was still tripping in my head. But because I was following this woman who was experienced, and she, she had her hands up while we are doing all kind of crazy loops, and I'm sitting there like begging Jesus. I said, Lord, my work is not done. My work is not done. But this woman was vicious. But sometimes it takes you following somebody else who's taking reasonable risks so that you can step out of your comfort zone. Sometimes your friends are your greatest barrier to success because they will only do what you have done. And what you have done is not what you only want to do. You want to go further. So if you find yourself hanging out with people who only do the status quo, if you find yourself only doing the same routine every single day, not breaking it up to something higher, something more challenging, that's a problem. You are avoiding risks. You're avoiding risks, and you have to check yourself on it. Life is risky. Who to listen to when you're taking risks? If you notice in that passage, while they were having this hard time in the water, and the boat was rocking, by this point they're on a lifeboat, they're not on the big ship, they're on a lifeboat. Hello! In the middle of a storm. Anybody see the movie Eye of the Storm? Anybody seen the movie Twister? Any of the? Okay, imagine that in the water. Okay? By that point, they're in that kind of water. And so I want to hear any good thing possible to reassure me that I'm going to live. And so it's important to pay attention to you. Listen, when Paul started sharing, everybody, he got everybody's attention. When he told them, be at ease. We're go- there's going to be some shifting, but you're going to live. That was all they needed to hear. God's words of assurance spoken through Paul established a trust in Paul's leadership, not just among fellow prisoners, but the captain and his crew and the guards. So God's word of assurance spoken through Paul established trust in Paul's leadership among everybody. And as a result, they started to follow what he said to do. You go back to that passage and you read it for yourself. You'll find that as the Holy Spirit gave Paul direction and was counseling Paul to let him know that everything would be okay, 
that he was communicating that to the people on the ship. And so they began to believe what he said and stick with him. And as they followed his directions, they also remained safe. So with each step, they remained safe, and so they also fit, uh, stayed faithful to trust in him. And sometimes God will put you in positions to say things to people and to give direction. You may not be the leader in the group. It might be people who have more authority than you do. But if God told you to speak it or to do it, he is using you for a purpose. And that purpose may be very well to preserve somebody else's life. God's wisdom and assurance trumps natural ability and experience every time. God's wisdom and assurance trumps natural ability and experience every time. Here we go. An experienced captain, I'm sure, an experienced crew, they're, they're sailing from Italy, trying to go to some other islands, trying to get through to Rome, you know, along the way, doing, making all of these stops. That was their attempt. So, you know, there's an experienced crew. Yet the wisdom of this one man, whose craft and trade was not a sailor or a captain, or a crew of a ship was the one that everybody listened to because God's wisdom was with him. So it's not about your degrees. It's not about all the experiences you've had. It really is about God's wisdom. God will equip you with a strategy to secure the safety of other people. He'll equip you with strategy on how to achieve a particular goal that will come as a result of his wisdom and your trust in him, not as a result of the tools you have in your back pocket. I have this degree, I have this license, I have this one. I have never been a posi- in, in a position, I have never been in a position in my entire life where I had all the qualifications on paper. Never. God just never worked it that way. He's always put me in a, in a, in a role uh, to function where I was following or leading at a capacity that I did not have the natural license for but I had the ability for it, and God knew that. So he had to create a situation for me where he could pull out my potential, right? Not just use my credentials on paper. Who we listen to during the most traumatic phases of our journey makes the difference between utter disaster and and ultimate destiny. Who we listen to during the most traumatic phases of our journey makes the difference between utter disaster and ultimate destiny. The crew could have listened, could not have listened and perished, or they could have done what they did, was follow the direction of Paul and make it to safety. Sometimes the person you need the most is the one you favor the least. Sometimes the person you need the most is the person you favor the least. You can imagine These guards were sent to take Paul to prison, okay? The crew did not have to listen to him. And all the other prisoners, they were prisoners like him. Yet they found themselves in a situation where they had to follow him and what he said because he offered a strategy to safety that they didn't have. God's favor during your journey may very well come from the hands of your enemies, Sometimes the people who want to curse you can't even curse you. Sometimes the haters in your life, they want want to see you crumble. They can't even touch you. You'll find them coming up to you. What's up, man? What's up? And your mind, you're like, this boy is tripping. I know he hates my guts. But he respects who you are and what you stand for, and so he can't curse you. He can't do it because you're covered. Amen. So that's the power of God in our life. It's very real. This is very real. This is not something that is, you know, this is not a famous story. I'm sure all of us in this room can give one example of where we had someone who didn't like us somehow be the sweetest person and the kindest person we could imagine. And it wasn't a front because God changed their heart about us. And they probably can't comprehend it. But because God is at work in your life and building a heritage for you to follow, and is commissioning you and preparing you for work he wants to do, he'll, he'll, he'll make those shifts in people's minds about you just to help build your confidence, to let you know, I'm not alone. God does love me. He is watching over me. I am worth it. Amen? 
especially when you're dealing with approval, because, you know, some of us deal with the approval of people to the umph degree. You know, we got to be accepted by this person, or I'm not down, or I got to be accepted by that person, or else I'm really not gifted. I'm not a great artist unless Charles says I'm a great artist. That boy is bad. Have you seen his work? He's sick. There will be times when we're imprisoned and restricted to a specific domain so we can lead others to freedom. There will be times we're restricted to a specific domain that you will experience imprisonment in your journey. You'll feel like you're locked in that position for a while, and it is irking you. But God is leaving you there to bring freedom to other people. Let me tell you, there were days that I did not want to open my door. When I was working in New York, there were days I did not want to open my front door. That's how bad it got. One, I remember one year, it was so traumatic. I put my hand on that door to leave. You know, I just got up. I prayed. I said, Lord, help a brother out. I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to make it. And I got to that door. I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. It became emotionally tough for me. It became very traumatic for me. But I needed to push through that because, one, God was developing my capacity. And he knew that the environment he put me in was going to prepare me for where I am today. Because as I, as I progressed and stayed there, I recognized that God wanted to equip me with some skills and strategy and know-how to bring to people who didn't have what I had available at my fingertips. And so sometimes you'll find that you're frustrated in that environment, but it's important to recognize, am I getting frustrated because my time is up? Or am I getting frustrated because... God is trying to cultivate something in me that I've been resisting. Because those are two different things. You need to discern whether am I still there because my, am I frustrated with being there because my time is up or am I frustrated because God is trying to shape something in me that I'm resisting. In order for a shift in your journey to really, really take root and have the impact on the lives of people, because that's what it's about. It's not about position. It's not about your fancy titles. God doesn't care about that. He uses those things to bring him glory because he knows that he can trust you in a certain position with a certain function over a certain amount of lives or amongst certain people, and you can be faithful and not be so concerned about how does this make me look. He recognizes he can use you to transform their lives because it really it all comes back to who are you, imp- who are you empowering for Christ? Whose lives are you being a witness to? Remember, Paul was on that ship not saying, I think you should do this. He said, look, the Lord has assured me that we're going to be safe. We're going to lose a little cargo, but we'll be safe. Okay, so here we go. They are on the ship. They follow Paul's direction. Guess what? Ah, They make it to safety. They end up on this island called Malta, all 276 of them. They're fine, but when they're there, Paul is, you know, I think setting a fire or something else. You know, they're finally relieving, trying to dry off, something like that. Maybe he's trying to prepare fire for food. He's doing something, but when he sticks his hand out, he gets bitten by a venomous snake, okay? Now, if you know about snake bites, they're poisonous, okay? And the man should have died, but they looked at him. And the man didn't fall out. Three days had passed, and the man was good. He was walking around saying, hey, Pastor Edgar, how you doing? Glad I made it to Malta. Let me tell you about that trip. It was off the hook. Ooh, let me tell you, if I could own that lifeboat, no joke. And people are looking at him like he hasn't dropped dead yet. And so when they saw that, they said, oh, his God must be real. Because even in that situation, he just, he just did his business, sharing who God was. What his purpose was, was building the kingdom of God, sharing them who Jesus Christ was, sharing the gift of salvation with them. And as a result of that, people believed on Jesus because this man didn't die. And the whole time he's proclaiming who Jesus is. So God actually used that location, that shift in their journey where they ended up in Malta. He actually used that to bring healing to the lives of other people. So what did they do? The citizens on that island actually brought other people to Paul for prayer so they can be healed from their diseases. Because they saw this miraculous, this miraculous experience where Paul didn't die. And he's bitten by a snake that had killed other people in the past time and time again. 
So God uses these unique situations, right? Sometimes he shifts our trips. You want to go one place, he sends you to another, and he sends you there just by the skin of your teeth, right? Then he gets you there, does something amazing in the presence of other people so that he is glorified, so, he, so you're a witness for him, and then he brings healing to those people's lives. So these people were physically healed from diseases. What does that say about God's power? That his, he desires to do very tangible, realistic things we can experience in the natural. Not just talk about, because it, it happened in Bible times. He desires to bring healing to us. He desires to restore people from diseases. And so God had to make his authority known. So sometimes that shift in your trip is for the benefit of other people. I'll say that again. Sometimes that, sh- that shift in your trip is for the benefit of other people. So long story short, he ends up staying there for three more months, and he spends his time sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Many people believe, others don't. But what would his life been like had Paul not made it to Malta? What would have life been for those citizens on that island? It's very possible they would not have known Christ. And we sometimes, sometimes think of our lives in terms of a destination, when your life really is about that journey. It really is about where is God calling me right now to do right now. To use my gifts, yes, to use my talents, but also to benefit other people. What is he trying to do in the lives of other people? And me. You better believe Paul experiencing transformation, making it through the storm, getting bit. Your faith only grows. When God preserves you through a hardship like that, your faith does nothing but grow. Because you recognize he's still, he is still God of the universe. He's still in control. And he still loves me. He still values me. Because look at what I've been through. And we, ha- we can all share a couple, of, a couple of stories about things that we've gone through in our own life. That God has shown his love for us. He still kept us and preserved us. When your journey shifts, so does your list of required resources. When your journey shifts, so does your resources. You notice in the text, he, had, he told them, throw over. They, had, they needed to eat. 14 days, they're in this rough water. They haven't eaten anything. Okay? Paul said, okay, you need to eat something so that you have the strength to make it. We're on this lifeboat. Yes, the waters are ugly, but we have some bread. You need to eat it. You haven't eaten in 14 days. And so they eat it. They eat the bread. They have their, what they, in the Bible is called a feast. This is actually... That the, the time this occurrence happened around the time of atonement, so it was a natural season of fasting for some of them. And then the rest of the cargo, they were told to toss. Paul said, eat, then toss the rest of the wheat over. you like, you crazy? I can't see any land. I need to eat something. Again, God's authority was upon Paul, and they listened to him, and they trusted him. But sometimes your journey will require you to restrict your resources. Some things you think you need for your trip, you don't need. They're just cushions. They make you feel good. They're like that blanket that Lionel had, you know, and, and uh, Charlie Brown. When that little blanket he always walked around with, what's his name? Linus. You know, he always had that dirty little funky blanket. It made him feel good. And it irritated everybody else. Sometimes the things you want to bring with you will irritate other people. And God doesn't want you to have it. You didn't hear that. Sometimes the things you want to take with you on the journey, you don't need to have because there will be irritations to other people, and they'll mess with your message. They'll mess with your message, and they'll mess with your work. So some things you have to leave behind. Paul told them, you need to eat. In other words, he told them, you need to eat to live. Don't live to eat. They had the bread, and then they threw the rest of the food overboard. Our goal is not to live to eat, it's to eat to live. Get what we need so we can do what we're supposed to do. When your journey shifts and you have to change your list of required resources, you'll need to choose between food and faith. Food meaning what's comforting and what you're willing to believe in. Faith, who you're willing to trust in your experience. A drastic shift in our journey requires a radical shift 
and adjustment in our resources. So let's talk about what what it is you need for your shift in your journey. When God is shifting your location, he's shifting your experience on this trip that he has called life, or whatever it might be. It might be a particular course of study. It might be a particular kind of work. It might be a relationship with people. Whatever shift he's making, you have to prioritize. First thing you need to do is prioritize. You need to focus on the non-negotiables. What are the things I absolutely need to have on this journey? If I'm going to be this phenomenal caterer, Sister Yolanda, what are the things I need? And what are the things that will just look good or make me feel good while I'm on this trip? Focus on the needs. God provides your wants. Focus on your needs. The Bible says, according to you supply all of my needs according to your riches in glory. So we're talking about God's riches. He knows what you need. And I'll leave you with this, this last point here, is that innovation is at its maximum when you're at uh, the, the least amount of resources. When you have everything, and I had this conversation with a, a guy the other day. It was providential that I ran into him. I went downstairs because I, I, I wasn't eating my breakfast at 6 o'clock in the evening the other day because the moment I hit the door, everything jumped off. It was the first day of school last week. So when I finally opened up my lunch bag to pull out a yogurt, it was after 6. So I asked one of the staff people, I said, you have a spoon, need a spoon, because you know by then I'm about to pass out. So then he said, oh, go down to the cafeteria. So I go down to the cafeteria, and there's this room on my left, and I, w- I sometimes just go in the room. Because it was nice. I had a, a screen, big, large screen TV on the wall. I walk in, and I see this guy sitting there. And he says, hey, I, s- we saw, I saw you, but I didn't get a chance to say hello. Shook my hand. And this guy is, you know, he too. We have so many things in common. He was from New York. He felt a call to be in Newark, made his way, you know, to Newark, and just started to share more things. Because I'm entering, this school is new. So there's a lot of pockets of things that I still have to discover and figure out how to blend and put together. It's made up of a series of different partners, you know, from around the country that are, that are doing this. So I'm, there's a, a large learning curve and things that I need to digest and know how and where they belong. And as he began to share, he said to me, he said, you know, innovation, this is the time for innovation. And that's the name of my school, by the way, Newark Innovation Academy. He said, this is the time for innovation. Innovation happens when you have the least amount of resources. And as I heard that again uh, earlier today, I was reminded of Steve Jobs and Apple, a company that started with a couple of friends inside their dorm room, which is now worth over $200 billion dollars. Sometimes you'll start off with something very little, and you'll look at others, and they look like they have so much. And God will use those resources you have to build a legacy that will surpass what those other people started with. As a matter of fact, some of, the, some of the computer companies that existed when Steve Jobs and his partners founded Apple, those companies don't exist anymore. You don't even remember them because they, could, they couldn't handle it. They didn't have the capacity. So sometimes we worry about getting to the top too quickly because we are not honoring the journey that God has us on. And if you're going to get to where God's called you to, you have to honor your journey, honor your trip. You are going to go where God sends you, period. What God called you to do, that's what you're going to do. If you continue to envy other people and their process, you will lose sight of your road and you will fail. You will be a failure. Because you're looking at other people and not focusing your attention on God. You should be able to walk in any building amongst any group of people who are studying the same thing you're studying and feel like you could surpass them a million times over. One, because you are you. Two, because God lives in you and helps you to believe that you are worth something. That all things are possible to him who believes that I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Some of us don't have a legacy of hope 
and prosperity and faith because we haven't had parents who were Christians. Or they said they were Christians, but they didn't live a Christian lifestyle. So that screwed our head up right now. But you need to go back to what God promises. What does God say to you? So your journey is only as valuable as much as you're willing to trust God. Your journey is only as valuable as you're willing to trust God. If you are not willing to trust God on this trip he has you on, so what? You change your major twice. Big deal. If you've gotten a sense that that was the right direction to go, and you've been prayerful about it, keep moving. You don't know what God has created. Some places God will send you just to get preparation, and it may not link up with what you want to do from a natural eye. But in the eyes of other people, they will look at it on paper and say, look at this. That's the one right there. Don't seclude. Don't seclude your experience to this idea that, uh, I just, it just doesn't match. It's just not a right match. It is a right match. God is matching it. He's matching it. But you have to be patient. And I wrestled. For myself, I wrestled. I wrestled with God. I wrestled with him about this whole transition to Newark. And when people ask me, well, how did you get here? Or, you know, welcome to Newark. Stuff like that. Sometimes it was a positive. Sometimes it was like, welcome to Newark. You know, they had other lines behind that one. But I had to openly say, I said, I was called here. I was called here. I couldn't say, oh, I really like it here. I was called here. I do like it, mind you. I mean, April and I would be driving, and I just, so the moment we hit Newark, I was like, I felt like home. I felt like home before it became home. Those are signs that God is doing something with you. Pay attention. God is, God is very visual. And so sometimes God will give you a cue. He'll remind you of maybe a place you go, a certain location that's linked to what he's called you to do. And when you get there, you're like, oh, you, you feel like you can be there all day long. That's a sign that God is drawing you. So you need to be asking yourself, question, God, what, what are you doing? And he'll provide the opportunity. Amen? So a shift in your journey, it requires your patience. It requires your obedience. It requires trust. Patience, obedience, and trust. If you're obedient to God's order, you'll be able to trust him. And you will be very patient with the road he takes you on. But you need to discern. You need to be discerning about it. Be confident in God. Hope in God. Praise him for the help he gives you to endure where you are. Praise him for the shift. There are some big shifts happening. We've been talking about shifts this whole time. Um, but I, I really believe that you know, this, this is a season, as I share with some other people, the water is troubled. And when I say that, I mean the water is troubled. And I said this a while ago. So it's funny, it actually comes back now that the scriptures in this text is evolving about a water experience. Because I said to some other people, the water is troubled. You can sense when something is about to happen. And if you are resisting the shift in your journey because you're fearful, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Instead, I encourage you to step in. Step in. And whatever way it is, whatever small steps you could take to get there, start moving. And say, Lord, I believe you. I believe this is what you want out of my life. I'm going to do it. Take those steps, those small steps, and you'll find God transform the experience for you. Amen? Amen. to pray. If, if you are in a situation where you're experiencing a shift in your own life, a shift in your, in your journey, if you are have experienced some fear in making a transition, and it could be very small, you may think in your mind and say, oh, it's little. And I'm not asking you to share it. But if it really is something that you're resisting, we're going to use this time to just pray. And you ask God to, Lord, help me to trust you in this shift. Help me to trust you in this transition. Help me to trust you in this journey. Help me to take those risks that I know you've called me to take. I believe you. I believe you're faithful, and you will do it. Help me to really see you at work in my life. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, O oh God. We thank you for your shift, Lord Jesus, in our life. We thank you, O oh God, for your shift in our journey, Lord Jesus, how you call us, you draw us, Lord God, to certain circumstances and places as you did Paul, Lord God. He couldn't control the fact that he was in prison, but you used the situation he was in, O oh God, to transform the lives of other people, O oh God. Help us to see your hand at work in our journey, Lord Jesus. Lord God, even when you move us in a direction that we don't expect or don't necessarily appreciate or wasn't our first choice, Lord God, when we discern, Lord God, that that's what you have us to do, where you have us to be, that we would trust you and that we surrender to it. Lord God, open our hearts today to receive your shift in our journey, Lord Jesus. Equip us, O God, with faith in you that no one can interrupt that would be rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I lift up everyone in this room right now. We lift our hands to you, Lord God, and surrender to you because we recognize, oh God, that you are the shifter. Just like you're the lifter of our heads, oh God, you are the shifter of our journeys. That there are places and people you're calling us to. That there are passions you've put in us, oh God. Some that you want to remain and those that you are trying to take away, Lord God. Help us to appreciate the shift that you're making in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, oh God. Give us the support we need. Where's there resistance, oh God? Where there's resistance from family and from friends, give us the faith and the muscle to stand on your word and what we're trusting you for and what you've been speaking to us, not what other people are saying. We know, Lord God, that when we walk with you, we can do everything else but fail. We know, Lord God, that even in the hardest of times, when we're desperate, you are there. You're present. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would operate mightily this week, even this week as we start a new school year, Lord God, and people go back to work and others reconfigure their life's mission and discern the vision you have for them. God, make it clear. Make it clear. Make the path straight in Jesus' name that you would be glorified in all things. And, Lord God, that we would see the fruit of our faith and our obedience and our trust in you and that we'd be able to share it and celebrate it together even as a body of Christ and spur each other on to good works and to continue faith in the shifting, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give our brother Stephen Peters another hand. Uh, and I'm going to encourage you. I'm sitting here saying to myself, honey, we're going to have to talk about some stuff tonight. <laughs> But I encourage you, and I say that because, you know, that's my wife. She's my, so, so whatever God speaks to me, I have to speak to her. Whatever God is speaking to you, whether you, have, whether you have a mate or just an accountability partner, someone, share this shift in your journey. Don't keep it to yourself. Talk about it. Pray about it with somebody. And have them hold you accountable for it. And that's why I'm sharing with my wife, because whatever shifts we're going to make, we we have to hold each other accountable for. Amen? Amen. So I just want to encourage you to do that. I'm just going to go through, and you can sit down. I'm just going to go through a couple of, not get ready to go through just a couple of announcements. Um, let me get my book because I wrote it down. <laughs> Hopefully I have all the announcements. The other leaders can look at me just in case I forget something. <laughs> but, um, just to go through a couple of announcements. First of all, this Thursday um, at 7 p.m. we'll be having our Bible study, and um, so we'll be go we'll be continuing more on this conversation, talking about a shift in our journey. So um, I encourage you all to continue to just come out. And Bible studies have definitely been a blessing, um, blessing to me, a blessing to those that have been here, just sharing, encouraging, um, learning from each other. So I encourage you all that those of you can come out Thursday, 7 p.m. right here at the SDO Chapel. And then this Sunday is Back to Church Sunday. It's Back to Church Sunday. Come on, give it up, give it up, give it up. Back to church. That means we're going to be focusing on, on a couple of different things. We're going to be having a couple of things going on. It's going to be an important Sunday, so I encourage each and every one of you to invite a friend. 
invite a friend to come out. Um, I don't know if we still have cards, Sister Yo. Sister Yo, do we have cards? I don't know. I don't know. You didn't see? Okay. But um, and we're going to ask you to truly invite a friend to come out. Um, so don't come out just by yourselves. Try to bring someone as much as you can. Um, so that's this Sunday, um, September 12th. And then um, the 25th to the 26th, Bethel Gospel Assembly, you know, that's our, the mother church um, in Harlem, New York. They're going to be having a leadership conference. You have? Oh, no, I'm confused. <laughs> All right. Um, the Bethel Gospel Assembly is going to be having a leadership conference. It'll be a um, leadership conference where they'll be doing a lot of different teaching. Um, the Saturday of the conference will actually be focused on leadership, le- leadership teams. So all the leadership teams, audio team, audiovisual team, um, usher board, worship team, um, pastoral team, all those teams, they're going to be having workshops specifically designed for all these different types of teams. So we encourage you on that Saturday to be out, but on the 26th, it will actually be for everybody as well. So um, so if, do we have? Yeah, flyers. Yeah, so if you have, we, have, we do have the flyers. I want to make sure we have the flyers. We do have flyers for it. We do have flyers for it. So when you, thank you very much. So yeah, so t- September 25th will be from 9 to 3. Um, yeah, so it'll be more. There'll be more towards leadership, leadership, leadership teams, and then on Sunday the 26th from 4 to 6 p.m. That'll be for everybody. So it's something that everybody can take a part of, not just not just leadership teams, but everybody can take a part of. And it's a free conference, so you don't gotta pay a dime. You just gotta get there. So we'll be working on ways for you guys to get there. We'll get more announcements as pastor pastor is away on a well-deserved vacation. Amen. <laughs> Man works hard. It's um it's their eighth anniversary. This okay, it'll be this um Tuesday will be their eighth anniversary. So um I'm gonna end Pastor Alvanda's birthday. So on that note, Sister April. Hi everyone. I just want to um again piggybacking off of what Pastor said, this is the eighth wedding anniversary of our pastors, Pastor Arthur and Alverna, Alverna Shatwick, and it's also her birthday as well. So we want to really bless them, right? We want to bless them. Um, many of you have not had the opportunity or privilege to have been here during the summer. I say it's a privilege, but I know you guys were in beautiful places as well. But um, there were some really um, just great messages that went forth during the summer. And um, as you know, Pastor Arthur and Alverna are so dedicated to this ministry dedicated to sharing. We had the community care celebration that took place a couple of uh, weeks ago where we gave out backpacks to over 200 students um, who needed free school supplies, etc. And there's just a, a hard and fast commitment to this community. Um, but also, um, we know that they've made sacrifices as well to lead and to be um, our pastors and to love us because they're being obedient to the call and they know their audience, as my husband said. So we want to bless them. So I'm asking that we make a special offering, a love offering to them, um, so that they are able to be blessed and celebrate this wonderful journey of eight years of marriage. What does the number eight represent? New life, new beginnings. So we want to, you know, encourage them in this new beginning, in their marriage. They passed the seven-year itch. And now they're moving on to nine years, and so this is a wonderful time. We want to bless them. So I'm asking that if you can, if you're able to give something towards that, we want to present it to them when they return um, next Sunday. But we want to take an offering today as well. So we want to do the offering today, and we want to present it to them next week when they return to us and let them know that we do love them and we are appreciative of everything that they have sacrificed and everything that they have given. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Um, as we, since we're, we're Pastor Dennis Hodge. Just stay right there. <laughs> so we'll get ready to leave. I'm going to ask, you have two baskets? Yeah. Yeah, so you can bring two baskets up. Um, one basket will be for the regular tithes and offering, and then the second basket will be for the for the pastor's offering. So I'm asking everyone to stand, um, or stand, and you can prepare to fill out. If you have your connection cards, please make sure you fill them out. 
your name information, and also with your envelopes, put your name, um, and then designation, tithes, offerings, building fund, mission fund, all those different things. Like we said, we have one basket that will be for the general tithes and offerings, and then the other basket will be for the pastoral.